0: One of my favourite things to do in this Advent season is to watch terrible straight-to-Netflix Christmas films. Only the Christmas films, though, any like rom-coms or anything like that, just aren't bearable. And in every one of these Christmas straight-to-Netflix films, it all ends in the main character or their love interest realising that Christmas is special after all. And usually someone proposes or at least does an inappropriately public speech to said love interest. However, the weirdest trend by far, I feel, is one that snuck into a few of these Christmas films where the characters, the two who are destined to be together, will slow dance to Silent Night. I don't think that's a song you can dance to. In one instance, there's a fairly known, well-known actress Andy McDowell from Four Weddings and a Funeral who sings Silent Night at a Christmas auction and this is the scene where the characters have their first kiss. It is bizarre. Not only that, but making Silent Night into some sleazy waltz misses the point of Silent Night, which is a carol about baby Jesus, about God himself in human form, sleeping peacefully on his first night on earth as a baby. It's about the radical love of God which pursues us all by coming to earth as one of us to rescue us. Silent Night might seem like the kind of song which is about baby Jesus sleeps through the night. What a good baby. But actually it's talking about history which proclaims the dawn of redeeming grace. The point I'm making today is... Those characters in those Netflix films are totally unaware of the song that's being sung over them. Andy McDowell seemingly seems very unaware of the powerful lyrics and truth that she is proclaiming over the Christmas auction. And I want us today to zone out of this fuzzy feeling of love that we're dancing around with. I want us to zone into the powerful message of redeeming love, which is being sung over our lives, whether you're listening to it or not. So my challenge to you today is zone into this passage today where Isaiah, like an early day Andy McDowell, sings Silent Night at a Christmas auction. And he calls over that fuzzy feeling of love into the reality of God's redeeming love. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 43 together now. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, You will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honoured in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and will gather you from the west. Now, that message of love might not sound like the love you're used to or even looking for. For me, when I first hear this passage, I hear something a little bit yoldy about trades amongst nations and international politics, which doesn't add up with that fatherly, Christmassy love that I expect from God. However, let's think about it on two tracks. By doing that, we can start to focus on how Isaiah is calling us away from that fuzzy feeling of love, which doesn't understand and doesn't listen to what God is singing over us and doesn't sustain. And what he's calling us into, which is that bigger, better, powerful, redeeming love of God. So this passage, simultaneously is God replying to the cries of Israel back in the day, as well as for being all his people and his love given to us through Jesus? We can tell because it's really specific to nations at the time. So in verse 3, where God talks about Egypt and Cush and Seba, and in verse 14 later on, he talks about bringing down the Babylonians, or verse 4 about giving nations and people in exchange, that doesn't feel very relevant to us, it feels a little bit alien. And if I'm honest, at first glance, when you read the whole chapter, it doesn't read like a love letter, particularly if we're looking for that fuzzy Christmas love. But if we look beneath the surface uh, of the rest of Isaiah chapter 43, it is all about God's love at work in Israel's and in our lives. Back in 720 BC and today. So let's read it on train tracks running in parallel. On one side, this is directly about the nation of Israel at the time, hundreds of years before Jesus. And on the other side, at the same time, Isaiah is pointing to Jesus himself and the people of God, which now includes all of us because of Jesus. So if it seems a bit alien or of its time, that's okay because in part it is. God is saying to Israel, you may think I ignored you and abandoned you in exile, but in the big picture, you are precious and honoured in my sight. I love you. I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. In this verse four, God said to Israel, these oppressive superpowers who have beaten you down, these nations who have invaded and taken all you hold dear and taken your very identity, I will overcome them. I will give them in exchange for you. I'd trade them in a heartbeat for your life. That's what he's talking about when he talks about, I give nations in exchange for you. It's not about international politics. It's bedded into that of the time. But it's about um, putting Israel first and putting his people first. He then describes what the outplaying of this love looks like for the nation. It's a powerful love that cannot be undermined. It is on a global scale and it demands that they witness to the other nations who God is and what he has done for them. But the total fullness of the promise remains unfulfilled. Verses 5 to 9 makes promises that this generation of God's people does not live to see for hundreds of years. In verse 5 onwards he says, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. More than that, in verse 19, God hints towards a new way, something totally unexpected that isn't yet unwrapped and won't come until God fulfills the promise of redemption. He says, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. He's pointing towards Jesus. All nations are drawn in through Jesus and invited into God's family. The promise is finally fulfilled and Jesus is coming and not a moment before. So we've moved to the other side of the train tracks, can you see? We've seen how this is grounded in Israel as a nation, in history and their relationship with God as his people. But how there's this gaping hole, there's a promise unfulfilled for them that they would place their hope in. The fullness of of this promise and of God's love is seen when we go now to the other side of the tracks and this side is about Jesus and it's for everyone not just Israel. When we accept God's love and live by it this is how his redeeming love plays out way beyond the fuzzy feeling that often we search for and look for and try to rely upon. We're going to look at the rest of Isaiah chapter 43 and listen how on this side of the tracks, this is God's love for us. First of all, we are created to be loved. We can see that in verses 1 and 7 and 15 and 21. I'm just going to pick out a few from there because otherwise we might be here for a long time. But it talks about at the beginning of Isaiah 43 about um, the Lord says he created you. He formed you, or oh Israel. You're included in that now. Love overcomes Fear. That's in verses two, Five. And then also you can see how God reaches into specific circumstances. So we can see that the Lord, your God, he gives Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. And that's about God reaching into specific circumstances, whether for Israel it was about slavery under Egypt, exile under the Babylonians, economic oppression by richer nations or being refugees scattered all over the globe. In the same way, God sees your specific circumstances and reaches into them. He overcomes fear with his perfect love. Love accompanies us through challenging times. We can see that when he talks about, I will be with you when you pass through the rivers. I will be with you when you walk through the fire. You will not be burned. Love has a cost. Love isn't something that God just gives away and um, just easily. It's something that even costs him. In verses 3 and 4, we can see that because God's talking about having to give nations and peoples for our ransom in exchange for us. In John three sixteen, Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that no one should perish, but all could have everlasting life. That's the same thing. His love has a cost that he is so willing to pay for you. Love provides. In verses 19 and 20, they're called and we are called to rely on him. It talks about how God provides water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland and even in the most unexpected places. Next, it talks about how love is inherited by the next generation. The promises for your whole family and for generations from now. We can see that again scattered throughout the passage, but particularly you can see it when God talks about, I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. Bring my sons and daughters um, from the ends of the earth and everyone who's called by my name. This isn't just for an exclusive few, this is about all generations being invited into God's family. Next, God talks about how love shows mercy, it forgives. In verse 21 of Isaiah 43, he talks about the people who he formed for himself. And he talks about how I blot out your transgressions in verse 25. I remember your sins no more for my own sake. God does that because he wants to for his own sake, not because he's obliged, not because we come to him or impress him enough. For his own sake, he forgives us by his love. Love is the promise of a better future. Again, we can see that in verses 5 to 9 and in verse 19. When God talks about, see, I am doing a new thing, see how it springs up. But love isn't just intended to make us feel good or even to reassure us in these amazing ways. Love is active. His love pursues us. It is um practical and it comes to us. It Love does. It's intended to flow to others. If you jump to verses 8 to 12, you'll see that it talks about how God is gathering nations. It talks about how he asks us to be his witnesses. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. Love in this passage is not a feeling or an emotion alone. It is embodied in the person of Jesus and God's love is more practical and bold. It's adventurous and powerful. I've heard throughout my life that Jesus loves me and I can get complacent about it, even though that's a massive blessing. And I often reduce it to the fuzzy feeling of a festive romance that should just make me feel good or happy when in reality being loved by Jesus just doesn't make me feel that way all the time. I wonder if it's the same for you. Yes, God's love does bring us unparalleled comfort and joy. We can see that in the way that his love is described in Isaiah 43. But do we mistake comfort and joy for comfortable and happy all the time? There's a difference. We buy into the straight to Netflix version of love and in doing so we mistake or we miss the powerful, active and unbounded love embodied in the coming of Jesus as not being love at all because we're just looking for this fuzzy feeling and Christmas version of love from him? Do you just want to slow dance and feel good rather than zoning into the proclamation of God's love that, yes, sings over you but also calls you and I out to love others, to the ends of the earth, proclaiming the dawn of redeeming grace in every aspect of our lives. Two things I want to leave you with. Firstly, the all-encompassing, big-scale, redeeming love of God is being sung over you. You may know God, you may not. You might follow Jesus, you might not. But he is singing over you with a love which saves forgives and cost him his own son to give you eternal life. You don't need to earn it. You don't need to impress him enough to receive it. You can't buy it. You can't run away from it. His love is sung over your life. It's pure grace. It's undeserved and it is for you. You get to choose whether you zone into it and live by it. Secondly, When you do zone in to that redeeming love song of God, if you want to, it will call you out. You cannot experience all of the goodness of God's love unless it flows through you to to others. His love requires a witness, just like it says in Isaiah 43. That is just as true in 700 BC as it is today. His love is for the nations, not just for individuals. It gathers all his children from the East and from the West, not just a few favourites. If we limit his love to being just for us, just making us feel good, we put a lid on it that shouldn't be there. So what does it look like for you to witness his love to the nations, to go to the ends of the earth, to lead out those who don't yet know him and to invite them home? It might be literally a call to the nations for you. Maybe you literally need to go to the nations. But for many of us, the nations are on our doorstep. It's serving your friends and your housemates. It's telling your colleagues about Jesus. It's showing love to your neighbours and generosity to those less fortunate than ourselves. And praying persistently for other places, nations and situations which are alien and different to our own. I certainly need some help doing that. So as we do this, we do it in community. We need one another as we figure out how to be God's love to others. A great place to start and to make this Advent and this Christmas about that kind of love. Let's start by praying together. Father God, thank you that your love is not just a feeling. Thank you for the comfort and joy that it brings us. But Jesus, we thank you that your love is practical, bold, and that it pursues us and saves us. I pray now that each of us in G2 and beyond would be filled with your love now, that we would know the gracious, kind love that cannot be earned and cannot be bought, but that you sing over us. I pray that it would flow through us all, And call us out to the nations. That we would be your love and be your hands and feet to the people around us. Prompt in our hearts and minds now what that could look like for us today, this week and in the coming weeks. Empower us with your love. And fill us with your spirit. Amen.